I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Real niggas getting money from the fucking stars. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Wayward Weekly. This is episode four. I am one of your hosts, Bobby Burns, and with me is your other host, Paul Sexton. How you doing, Paul? Hey, everybody. Good, man. Uh, How you doing? All right. Um, We were just talking, and I, I mean, literally... Every time we talk, I'm like, this should be the podcast. Uh, it's really annoying to talk to you on the phone or through video chat <laughs> if we're not recording, because then we're just in the midst of a deep talk, conversation, yeah. uh, something yeah. that we're looking at through the lens of science or philosophy or whatever. Um and we were just talking about uh, your health and some of the things that you've struggled with over the past, <clears throat> well, probably six years, um, if not longer than that, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I look at it as being like completely my fault. Like there's no one else to blame for it, which is why I've worked, you know, obviously so hard on trying well, to turn it all around. First, let's talk about like what are some of your health issues? Well, uh God, it was about yeah, about 2015. Uh, you know, I'd been going through just a long depression. Was not treating myself well. Was not eating well. Was just bored with life, and I kind of just basically <laughs> but, walked away from this everyone. W- this was an ongoing thing. It wasn't just like in 2015. You it were was, eating yeah, like it, garbage. I mean, when we were exactly. 23 was, and 24 living together, I, you know, I'd come home to Paul on the couch with like eight bowls of ice cream, three forties, <laughs> but, 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 but I will thing, say we all lived like that when we were 23, exactly. 24. It wasn't just exactly. you. We all lived exactly. like shit. Exactly. And yeah, no, it, it completely, I completely agree. Uh, and back then it was perfectly fine because I mean, I was my normal self. Like none of that stuff affected me. I had no problems with any food that I would eat, alcohol, nothing. Now I, 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 I literally don't drink at all. Like I think I have, uh, there's an enzyme that breaks down, uh, like histamines, which is diamine oxidase. And I think I'm deficient in that now, which basically every time I take in something, that is fermented, I end up having, you know, my ears get red, uh, my mental acuity just severely diminishes. Like even right now, I'm struggling a little bit, not because I drank, but for whatever reason, like we were talking beforehand on, uh, before starting the podcast, uh, for some reason when I eat, uh, it causes like basically a burning sensation in my stomach and that occurs about 15 minutes after I eat. And it was just today, I was working in the morning, and then I had five eggs, I had some asparagus that I made, cooked in olive oil, butter, and a little bit of salt. And my brain afterwards, it feels like the frontal cortex just swells. I have trouble formulating words. Uh, even right now, I can't talk as quickly as like I was talking to you But that sounds like you're eating ago. pretty healthy. That's that's so, the conundrum. So if you eat like shit or if you eat healthy, then you're affected by it. No, if I eat like shit, it's it's really downhill. Okay. And it's downhill quick. And yeah. like I said, you know, growing up and when we were in our 20s, I never had any of those issues. 
and uh, and I've, I've I'd really got myself to a really good place. And then for some reason, this last Thursday, I woke up, I had coffee, I had bone broth that I made myself. And uh, by the afternoon, I was talking with the attorney that I'm working with. And then I had a conversation with you. And I feel like I am in just this void, like this just for a, mental a whole week almost void. now. If, yeah, basically a whole entire week. And the, the level of depression that I feel sometimes as a byproduct of it is just excruciating. Like, yeah. I can't stand it. Because, I mean, it, it's not like I'm, like, hyper-intelligent just normally. But you just you know how you are as a baseline, sure. right? And then you just have this precipitous fall. And you're trying and struggling to figure out, like, what you're doing. And I've been journaling the entire month. And I'm looking at everything, trying to... Uh, to figure out and piece together what I did, what went wrong, and I can't seem to to figure it out. But I think that sometimes though your body can just undergo like changes throughout the month or yeah. from time to time, or even with the weather. So like, um, I have indigestion issues, and uh, dude, I haven't had indigestion in like two weeks to a month, but my body will go through cycles where it's like, I'll get it really bad for like a month and then I won't get it at all for like a month. And it could yeah. just come on randomly or, or whatever. But, um, I'm like, I always think about it and, and, you know, I often think about, oh, it's my diet and I'm eating like trash or this or that, or too much salsa or, or breads. And right now I'm like, I'm eating like I always fucking eat. So, yeah. but then part of me wonders, well, maybe it's something I ate, two weeks ago that just slowly starts to build up into my system, right? Because mm. things can take a while to build into your body and, and acclimate. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, but uh, I do know a lot about <clears throat> um, different types of um, psychopharmacologicals, um, medications uh, that you are putting in your body. Is that even the right term? Psychopharmacologicals? Pills, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I know it decent enough about the, uh, enough uh, information about them to know that like you can take something like say Adderall and yeah, you'll have an instant effect, but you're not going to get your standard effect until after maybe two weeks or a month or two or three months, right? You have to build yeah. up a tolerance to it to start behaving uh, normally and operating normally. Um, so it could also just be that, that it's like, I eat like garbage. And after a few weeks of that building up into my system, I really start to get it. And then I, because I'm getting it so frequently, I change my diet. And after changing my diet, it takes about two or three weeks to go away. It could be that, I don't know, but seemingly yeah. without any evidence, um, I'm not journaling. I'm not taking data. I look at it and go, I kind of always eat the same. I'm always eating chips and salsa. I'm always eating bread. The one thing that I do think I attribute it to it, and I hate admitting it because um, I've always been like, not against this, but just like, ah, people are blowing this out of proportion is when I eat wheat. Um, I know wheat's in a lot of stuff, but if I buy a loaf of wheat bread, like whole wheat bread or uh, yeah. grain bread or whatever, and I'll, when I buy that, I'll make toast every morning and, um, or maybe have a grilled cheese at night. And, uh, right now I have just plain shitty white bread, wonder bread from the, the store and no problems whatsoever. But I, yeah. I, the one thing that I would bet money on is that if I went out and bought a, a loaf of grain bread today um, or wheat bread and had some toast tomorrow and the next day over the course of the next week that in a week or two, I would have really bad digestion. Yeah. So well, it, it, it's hard. It, well, it's to each, well, it's to each of their own on that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't have like celiac or anything like that. So 
Uh, I don't I even don't know have, what that is. What's celiac? Well, that's where you have a, an allergy to, to gluten. Like I think okay. a lot of people think that they have a, a yeah, I know. Allergy, and that's why I'm, not, I'm like, it's, I feel it, like it's a little the, bit BS and so many people, I remember once I, I went on a date or two with this girl who was like, oh yeah, like, uh, I'm, I'm sensitive to, to wheat. And like, I just hear the word sensitive and I immediately go, you're overreacting, <laughs> right? I've associated that word in my head sensitive with being someone who overreacts to things. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, I didn't, I don't really know what that is, but like now I'm 35 and I'm like, ah, oh, God, I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be eating wheat very often. Well, you just don't, you don't want to get to a point where, uh, and I don't you won't get to a point like me, but I think a lot of people do eat terribly for a long period of time and they get away with it. And mm -hmm. then one day they don't. And yeah. then they're trying to figure out why, 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 you know? And I think there are a lot of people like my, my mood and uh, my energy levels, inflammation levels, all that change uh, really started to change once I started uh, just eating kind of a lower carb diet. I'm not advocating for any particular diet in general. Like if you're eating terribly, you're eating the standard American diet and you switch to uh, a vegan diet or you switch to uh, a ketogenic diet, you're going to feel better. And yeah. my thing is that I hit my version of rock bottom in 2015. My, uh, I was diagnosed with some form of colitis. Uh, they said that my uh, colon what is colitis? looked like, it, it's basically an inflammation of the colon. And they said that my intestines looked like stacked coins because that's how inflamed they were. You hmm. know, normally they're kind of elongated like an accordion that's all the way out, but the mind was like pushed together. So it looked like a, a roll of coins. Does basically. that make it, I would imagine it makes it challenging to have bowel movements? Oh, everything. It was awful. Uh, I would end up sleeping like 18 hours uh, on average hmm. each and every day. No energy. So do you feel like that's depression. what you're getting? Like when you get these flare ups like you did last well, week this, or no? This last week, that's the interesting part is, is, it was similar. So I don't know, you know, I have some supplements and things like that. Um, like I, uh, I, apparently I have gallbladder sludge and I'm like, well, is that an issue? And you know, the doctor's like, well, you know, no, not right now. I mean, if you start having pains, yeah. <laughs> How does the like, doctor well, know you have <laughs> gallbladder sludge and what is that? Well, because I've had, um, they've took, uh, they found a nodule on my lung. So they just took a, a wow. scan of my chest and they happened to find that too. They took a what, so, an x-ray? Is that what you said? Or a scan? It was a, a CT scan of my chest okay. and they found a nodule on my lung, which is benign. I had that checked uh, this last year, but they noticed uh, that I had sludge in my gallbladder and uh, they said it could be from uh, like extreme weight loss. And I don't have the muscle tone and definition that I used to, but the, but the thing is, is that I'm so sensitive to, to foods at times that I, I'm it's, I'm incapable of taking in the amount that I used to. What is a sludge uh, even though? Like, what does that mean? Um, it's basically bile sludge, almost like the way I would look at it is kind of like at the end of a dam, you know, after water is flowing into the same lake over time. So can they not get that out like through pumping your stomach or? No, it doesn't sound like there's, it, it sounds like it just, can get worse over time and then eventually you have your gallbladder taken out but then you're basically the the bile is going straight from the liver into the small intestine all the time and some people will develop irritable bowel syndrome or crohn's disease or also ulcerative colitis and that kind of stuff so i'm like this is crazy so i started taking this supplement called bile salts and it's a bile acid 
and to supplement because I was thinking that maybe the reason I was having the issues in my small intestine was because I'm not getting enough bile into my small intestine to digest properly. Uh-huh. So I wasn't taking the bile salt all the time, but that could have messed me up. I really am kind of searching at this point because I don't really know. But the reason why I started taking the bile salts is because I found an article by a Harvard MD um, on the Harvard Medical website. And it, it was basically addressing people that don't have gallbladders and saying, you know, it's not necessary to take a bile acid on top of that. Uh, but it would be uh, effective for someone like me that has bile sludge. But I may have messed something else up in the process. So I think what this is kind of telling me is that I need to stop trying to micromanage each and every little thing. Yeah. Like if I don't have a normal bowel movement or something, it's not the end of the world. I'm not having, <laughs> you know, an insane, you know, the world's not coming to an end, but because, you know, I may have triggered something last week. I mean, well, I it's read crazy another... too. like nutrition. I would say like of all the sciences seems to be the one with the most amount of fluctuation with the most amount of like, we, we found this out and then an article comes out and it's like, nope, exact opposite of that. Um, and so, um, it, it seems to be the least scientific of all the science, uh, all the sciences. And that's not an answer. Yeah, that's not to say that the methods that they go through to create some of these studies aren't scientific. It's just to say that they don't have many studies backing them up. It's they'll get one or two, and then you get one or two that say the exact opposite, and it's almost seemingly never conclusive. Um, yeah. And so I think that makes it really, really hard with nutrition. Um, and it's a really great example of how science in general is something that uh, applies to the masses. Um, So when you take a science article, you're oftentimes, you're looking at general rules. If it's something like like physics and you're looking at the law of gravity, the law of gravity like never wavers. But if you're looking uh, at a statistical analysis of uh, people, what you're looking at isn't something that is always true. You're looking at, at a tendency of things. Um, And, uh, if you take a bunch of people, this is what you're going to get. And it's called, uh, I believe they call that the law of averages. Is that correct? Are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Law of averages, just meaning that, um, you know, the greater your number in general, you're pretty sure it's going to go in one direction. But if you just take one person at random, you really don't know. I mean, you would want to bet one way, but you could lose that (laughs) bet. Um, well, that's that's what's hard about a lot of these studies. Like, and I do, because yeah. I, 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 I get tired of like woo woo stuff. You know, you see like a blog post and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a mommy or daddy blog, and they're just, you know, telling you like, oh, well, if you eat a Tide Pod, it helped me, you know, really change around my life. And I mean, that's an extreme, obviously, but there's just a bunch of, uh, you know, different uh, avenues and things that people are trying to sell, like detox. Every time I see detox, I just know that's you know, someone's misleading someone because there's just no such thing as detox. Like if your body isn't detoxing, you need a new liver, or you need a new kidney. Like there's an, there's a serious underlying issue. And the thing is, is, is everybody wants to like sell whatever their, um, their method is for, for yeah. healing you or curing you as a science. They want to disguise and be like, yeah. well, we're doing our own studies and our studies are better than other people's studies and we're doing our own research. And it's like, bitch, that doesn't make it science. Just like yeah. what makes science science is that you've had so many people 
measure the effect of gravity and nobody has disputed the effect of gravity. Nobody's got mm. been like, well, I got this one article and then read it. I did everything yeah. correctly, but it wasn't working. And everyone's like, well, how the hell did that happen? No, <laughs> that's never happened. Good science is where everyone tries to disprove it and they go, no, it's, it's just yeah. not working. It must be true. We, we can't disprove this thing. And so... Yeah. The issue is when you get into nutrition with that is everyone tries to sell it as science and say, well, we've got our own scientists and our own researchers. And and when you say it like, oh, it's my own scientist, uh, you know, that I've paid for, that means they're non-biased because all the other scientists, you know, are just getting paid billions of dollars from Johnson and Johnson to lie. And it's like, come on, man, like the people doing research on half these things are just kids in graduate school who are taking internships yeah. Um, yeah they're just yeah exactly they're trying to make ends meet they're not trying to like you, you know or they're not like making push. anything they're volunteers and yeah and yeah. they're they're part of the research it's like i did research there's no well, big elaborate scheme where all this money was trickling down there was very 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 little money and what money we did get just went to paying people to participate in the study <laughs> Yeah, and I think that I think that becomes a problem too because uh, you know I never would have gotten uh, better in terms of health and my mental acuity and, and everything that that came along with uh, changing my diet and exercise, basically doing all the things that you're supposed to do. But I really did. I looked heavily into it with the studies and all that. Uh, I probably read like 25 books on the subject, mm-hmm. uh, not just ketogenic diets, you know, paleo um veganism the whole gamut and everything and i kind of just chose what worked for me which is also really important which is what people have to understand if something isn't working for you but it works for most people uh it doesn't mean that you have to do it like the most profound thing i remember going to the uh, gastroenterologist and uh i had been taking probiotics (laughs) and i went into him or he's going over, you know, all the results and stuff with me and there's no there, there, whatever, you know, it looked like the colitis had uh, subsided and gone away. There's no evidence of it. So what I was doing was working, but I told him, I was like, you know, every book that I read says take uh, probiotics, um, but it makes my stomach burn and it makes my ears red, my eyes dry out and all that. And he, he just like, he stops what he's doing and he just looks over me like not sarcastic or anything. He's just like, oh, well, just don't take them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and my, <laughs> and my, my reaction at the time was like I was indignant. I was just like, well, "But the books say, but yeah, what? How?" And then I realized like he was absolutely right. Just don't fucking take it. It's different but for each and every person. And that can be hard when it comes to certain things, right? So with with my uh, stomach issue. Um, you know, the, the doctor's like, oh, well you, uh, you probably have GERD, which is gastro something reflex disease. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it can be triggered by this or that or blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, alcohol and smoking and, and spicy foods and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, so pretty much everything I like. Yeah. Salsa and yeah. chips, cigarettes and beer. Uh, don't do that anymore. And it's like, okay, I want to find something else I can change, though. I don't want to give up all the things that I like. And so what I'm saying is, isn't that, um, you know, 
I guess really what I'm saying is just a lot of times we don't like the answers that we get. We want it to be something that's easy, right? If it's, well, everything says take probiotics, there's probiotics everywhere and everybody else is doing it and it's socially acceptable and easy to do. I can do that and, and I'm, I'm trying it. Why isn't it working? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's hard to try to do some of this stuff. You have to really want the change or just say, fuck it and live with it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like with your situation, I mean, it, it sounds to me like you enjoy these things more so than the occasional uh, discomfort that you're, you'll feel or well, that you're feeling. Well, you think I, I wouldn't. And in general, I look at it and go, no, I don't. But it's not about long-term gratification. It's about immediate gratification. And in, in that yeah. short-term gratification, I go, yeah, but I want it. And that's, and that's, uh, that's what I was doing for the longest time. Yeah. yeah it's hard to say no to, you know, uh, yeah. and especially when I feel like I've earned it or I deserve it, or I've, you know, worked my butt off for the day or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, I, you're right in the overall balance of things. Clearly I want one more than the other, but I don't think that's true from, uh, an analytic perspective. I think that's just if you look at it overall, that's what outcompetes. But if you asked me, I'd say, yeah. really, I want to be healthier. It's just, that's an idea of what I want. But getting to that idea is a totally different thing. Like, It's tough. Well, I think you, like with, like with me, it was easier because I don't, there was no other way for me to go. Like I, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing yeah. otherwise. Well, it was affecting it, you at all times. Really it sounds well, all like times it was... And it, was it the equivalent of like eating a Thanksgiving dinner and then being permanently stuck in that state for like six months or a year? I mean, worse, way, 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 way worse. I mean, I could literally feel it in my brain, like just yeah. in my frontal cortex. Like I could feel it, like this pressure build up. Sometimes disorient. I'd just be disoriented. Like back in 2015, when I was driving. I had to follow behind cars like, you know, I had to put a huge space, like multiple tractor trailers between me and the next car because I couldn't judge the distance. Hmm. Like you would see me and be like, oh, he just looks completely normal, except, I mean, you guys knew me well enough to know like, oh, he's super depressed, something's going on. But like I could not, I mean, I couldn't even throw like a baseball around. Because yeah. I couldn't perceive it. Like, I, my brain just couldn't make the connection and judge the distance and how fast I was coming up on people. Like, I was that out of it. Like, just horrible. And, you know, I, I really had to, to work hard in order to fix all that. Yeah, um, and that's got to be it was hard. An experiment. That's, why, that's why you say that um, it uh, it's easy for somebody to say that... Um, you know, it's all in your head or that your head can really, um, uh, augment what's going on or magnify what's going on. But, um, that's not so easy to accept when you're sitting there on the other side saying, no, I literally feel like I'm fucked. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to censor myself and I continue not to. <laughs> Based off of our I podcast, realize the same thing. Uh, yeah. Like two or three ago, but I'm, I'm literally, you know, feeling like I'm messed up, intoxicated right now. And so um, earlier I had mentioned like, oh, you know, like I think that's somewhat to do with your head um, or, you know, it's, it's more you. But really, I think what I'm saying is at those times, I think you noticed more than other people noticed its effect that oh, yeah. it would have on you. Um, oh, I, I beat myself up over it like, yeah. because I'm just not myself. I'm not as engaging. But I told you, though, before uh, we went live, though, that I 
you know, ran like my own little data analysis uh, oh, to yeah. kind of figure out whether or not like am I having it, like me eating and then it affecting my mind? Like, is it actually having an effect? And so, how did was, what did you uh, do to study that? Well, while I was going through uh, law school, I would Uber uh, and you know, uh, you were an Uber driver. I was an Uber driver and I drive for Lyft. Uh, and I wanted to kind of compare tips. Like I actually did fairly well when it came to tips and everything. But I noticed though that if I ate a certain food or ate at a certain, you know, or ate before I began driving, that my ability to have the same type of fluid conversations kind of they tended to uh, to dissipate. Yeah. So what I would do is that uh, I would choose the same times, you know, same, like, you know, we'd be a weekend. One weekend, I would make sure that uh, I ate before I drove. And then I would look at the tip amounts and everything. It's it, Obviously, the variables are the people. Mm-hmm. So it's not completely accurate, but the uh Well, the that's number, why you randomize it, though, and you do, you know, sometimes on this day, sometimes on that day, switch off weeks or whatever. It sounds like exactly. you controlled for a lot of that. I tried to, and I did that over time, but the, the outcome was, was amazing though, because the, the times that I actually fasted, let's say I ate a lot before going to sleep and then I would wake up the next day and I would just continue fasted. So I put in, you know, uh, let's say seven, eight hours into driving one day because I'm ketogenic, I can fast that entire time and not lose any energy. Like right. I can maintain my energy levels and my, my acuity and I'm actually quicker like I can really talk and, and really engage with people and I want to engage because I'm not having any digestive uh, disruptions. So I did that over the course of like a couple months and everything and I compared the tip rates and when I was fasted, my tips were 60% greater. So <laughs> that's crazy. So what were your yeah, tips like, when like on average, what would you get for a tip um, when you weren't fasting? Uh, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to look. I know I've got the the papers like three dollars or something. Well, it depends on. It really depended on the ride. But that's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. On like average, over the over the course of those months, what was it? I I could not tell you off the top of my head. I'd have I'm to just find curious, the piece of paper. Sixty percent of three would be like an extra two bucks, right? If it, if it was a three dollar yeah. tip on average, now you're getting five dollar yeah. tips on average. Like that's a pretty significant yeah. difference. Oh that's no, not, it, was, it was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and I actually, you know, I think I did fairly well uh, in terms of getting tipped in general, even uh, when I had been, you know, when I ate beforehand and everything. <laughs> like even right now, I feel a little bit slow like i'm kind of having to search for some of the words like i said i had this issue kind of started this last thursday you don't notice it but i notice it whereas uh the day that i was talking to you and i was talking to you about uh histamines and that study that i would uncovered i was talking at you like a million miles an hour yeah you know and it made it makes a difference too in uh my like my trial practice classes and everything i would kind of formulate things around uh when i would eat um, that way I'd have more mental clarity when I would have to perform and argue because it really does make a difference. And I notice that people tend to uh, be happier around me when I'm fasted because I'm more engaged and lighthearted and yeah. just my you know normal goofy self, I guess you could say. Yeah. So uh, 
but you know, yeah, it took a lot of experimentation. And, and back to the studies in general, in people, uh, you know, not wanting to change. That's what you see in these health studies, and that's why it's so hard to conduct health studies. Is you can't keep people just locked in a in a room for a year feeding right. them the same thing. So you'd have these studies, and it'd be like, well, we started off with a hundred members. They all volunteered. We gave them a dietitian. We supplied them with all the food. They literally did everything, but they would do it from home. Let's say, yeah. you know, they'd be given the, the meals, and out of those hundred people. 60 were non-compliant. Oh, yeah. And not only that, then half of those exercised and the other half didn't. And half of those got yeah. a good night's sleep and the other yeah. half didn't. I mean, like, exactly. food is your fuel source. And so, you know, that's like trying to figure out what type of gasoline works better in an engine. But instead of just like one type of fuel or gasoline, like you've got your study is a bunch of different fuel types in every, like you're, you're not just studying cars. You've got like three cars, 10 tractors, 15 airplanes, a Sea-Doo, a lawnmower. And, and like, yeah. that's your population. Like when you get it, everything is just going to be all over the place because none of the variables are the same. And so look, what I, I want to go back and just reiterate um, one more time and, and say that like, I, I don't think that the scientists who conduct the science on nutrition are shitty scientists. I think it, that that they just don't get the replica, uh, replicability um, that the, the preceding uh, research articles that come out yeah. don't prove the same things because it's just so damn hard to control for all these variables. And so... Yeah, it's so variable. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, if you really want to be... If you really want to take advantage of science and the scientific uh, age, um, then you have to you have to look at that stuff and um, try it for yourself, and then not put it on to, to everybody else. I don't want to say do your own research because I despise <laughs> that that phrase or that saying. Do your own research is the equivalent of read a bunch of stuff on the internet that fits your point of view. Um, that's that's what I think bias. of when, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I hear someone say, well, just do your own research. It's read all the things that I want you to read and don't read any of the things that... Uh, that that say the exact opposite of what I think. And if you do read those things, then just discount them. And you'll come to yeah. the same conclusion as me because well, that's That's what why I, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I still don't care. To me, you know, dietary, you know, uh, what you intake in terms of nutrition and food, I don't care. Like it, it, ketogenic works for me. If I, I may die at 50 years old. You know, but what I think you did is like, you, I don't you know. applied the scientific application or you yeah. uh, applied the scientific method to you yeah. personally. You did a case study, a single case study, and that's not and going to I read to everything apply. I could. Yeah, that's not going to yeah. apply to everybody across the board. Look, I just think that it's hard for a lot of people to have that amount of self-discipline um, to to do that in their own lives. Um, and and uh, this is... This is something that we have to either get to rock bottom and our wits end and be willing to succumb to that or something that somebody has to teach us in our own lives so that we've got it built into our repertoire and we know how to do that. Because let's face it, as we talked about a little bit last week, we're not taught a lot of the appropriate behaviors when we're kids. Um, we're not taught a lot of things that we need to know in life. We're not taught like 
how to really develop good friendships and, and weed out the good from the bad or uh, relationships with significant others. And we're not taught to um, engage in self-control and restraint. And we're not taught to analyze ourselves and, th- and think about um, our own lives. And we're not taught to really be aware of our environment's effect on us. Um, we learn those things and people tell us about them, but we already have bad habits in place of the things that we could have learned. Um, yeah. And so we know we should be doing it. And at times we can, but we just continually fall back into the old habits of just responding to the environment rather than being aware of it and, and trying to adjust it and take advantage of it. So anyways, um, but yeah, that's uh I don't know those those health inter- uh, the health issues that you have I think are um, interesting because they're so severe and I don't think I've ever had anything quite like that because again for me it's easy to just be be like Paul I don't notice it you're fine and it's yeah I don't want to yeah yeah I I know you said your sister says that and I don't want to say like you're fine like just get over it I, what I'm what I'm saying is like don't worry about its effect on me or how I'm perceiving you. I know you. And I know you said it, yeah. it makes a real difference on the world. You tried it out and you get better tips when you're fasting and, uh, and not eating. And, um, um, but I don't notice it. I think you're more, um, acutely aware of that. And I, I do wonder what that is because I think, uh, as I've gotten older, I've had a few experiences in my life that have made me more acutely aware of certain things. Like, I have this thing where I think we've talked about it, but like now in my thirties, if I take an aspirin, I can, at least in my head, I might be wrong. Don't, don't take this for like, I know for certain what's going on, but this could be placebo effect, but I can feel it kick in. Like I can feel my body start to tingle a little bit and, and sometimes it worries me. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, why, why am I feeling uh, a Tylenol or an aspirin kick in? Um, and I can feel all these like little changes with things that I take. If I drink, you know, caffeine, I'm extremely sensitive to that. And, um, you know, and, and to marijuana and alcohol and all of these things, like, I can feel them. I've had one beer over the course of two hours and I feel it. Um, and, and I felt it off after like two sips or three sips of it. And again, you could say that's, that's placebo, but I think that I'm, I've just become hyper attuned to the changes that it has on me. Now I would say, but Paul, like I really start to think slower or I do this or do that. And you'd be like, I don't notice anything. Um, and there might not be a very apparent notice out there, but I notice it and, and that becomes bothersome. And so that's yeah. why I say, I don't think I've ever experienced something quite like that effect that you've had, because I mean, depression's a big thing and to feel like that sluggish for that long. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I never had any of those problems in the past, and, but the thing is though, is that I understand what you're saying. Like I understand the context with which you're saying it. Like you're not saying like, oh, it's just in your head. Like this isn't real. Suck like, it I up, know Paul. You, I, I, yeah, I know you well enough to know like what you're saying. You're basically saying like, I don't notice it when you're talking to me, sort of thing. Like, right. like you're you're saying that I, I'm making it more uh, of an issue in terms of how I think you're interpreting it. Yes, well, and, and that's I think as people get to know each other, I. 
I've known you for so long now that I see you through a certain lens. And so therefore I interpret everything new that you say through that same lens, right? Um, I go, oh, yeah. Paul's a, a smart guy. He's this, he's that. And so even if you say something that maybe is a little bit dumb or a little bit slow, I'm already seeing you through the opposite lens and I just automatically interpret it with, with you know, through those glasses or through those lenses. Yes. Yeah, you're not thinking anything different uh, no. about it. Yeah. So. No, I completely, I completely agree. Look, um, do you think now would be a, a good time to change trajectories a little bit um, and discuss last episode somewhat? Or do you want to continue this? you want to uh, talk about something completely new? Oh, no. Like, uh, yeah, no, I'd say talk about something new. Like, I can go down <laughs> the, the rabbit hole with this and... Like, and I would actually rather go down the rabbit hole on on a day when I'm actually a little bit more clear headed. Cause I mean, there was a lot to it that I, you know, had to do over the years and some people might find it interesting, but I don't think I'm at that point right now where I could really articulate it as well. But I would like okay. to, to talk about the education uh, system that we were talking about last week and everything. Yeah. So after um, we got off the podcast last week, I was like, God, I felt like I, I just ranted and, and went with ideas and didn't even uh, give thoughts to rebuttals or, um, didn't even, um, the episode before episode two and one, we really talked about like trying to get people to understand you. And all I did last week was not that I just preached and preached and preached and said, do it, do it, do it. And you, you had a really good question at one point and you're like, well, wh-? I think you said something like, well, how do you get parents on board with some of these ideas? Um, and I think the idea specifically was um, doing away with the grade system. And I was like, my answer was uh, maybe just something that could have been more elaborated on. I was almost dismissive. And I said, well, fine, Paul, like, don't, don't integrate my idea. Like, let's do a hybrid. But I mean, there's a solid point there is like, well, how do you even get them sold on that? How do you start change to begin with at all? And so I don't know. Do you have any like questions or rebuttals or things you thought of over the last week in regards to the last podcast? Because I felt like I just kind of yelled at you for an hour. Well, no, 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 you didn't. No, I was actually completely fascinated with the the views that you had because I never heard something like that where you have like a progressive uh, education system. It almost sounds bad to say progressive because people will conflate that with uh, you know, politics and everything, yeah. but having a, a, a foundational education system where you're, you're building upon the things that you learned in the past. But then I could say parents being like, okay, so you're not going to have a grade system. So they're what they're going to be in the first grade for 10 years. Yeah. Like, you know, like, cause like, but it, it wouldn't be that way. I think what you'd have to do, well, actually, I don't know if that would work either. I would say have almost like an incubator, like have it an, a, an underperforming school and just try something that is radically different yeah. and then say, hey, to the like, if it works, hey, you know, and I don't think it'd be the type of experiment where uh, things would go horribly wrong to where they would be uh, left behind and compared to the rest of their peers. Right. Right. Even if they were to do this over the course of, of 10, 15, 20 years just to test it out at this particular school. But there have been a lot of schools throughout the nation that have tried different things. There are charter schools out there and they really kind of, um, they all seem to have the same thing, uh, in common, which is they have leadership. They have someone that truly understands the neighborhood where the school is located. They understand the kids coming into that school and they know how to make it work. 
sort of thing. But you don't see this replicated across the the education system uh, on a wide scale. Nothing really seems to change. The current structure seems to stay in place. Well, and, and I think a lot of that comes from what I said where it comes from uh, what I said last week where um, people who are teachers and principals have been taught to do something one way or have done something one way and they've seen it be successful to a degree. Um, and so uh, they want to continue doing it that way, possibly not yeah. knowing something's better. It's like taking a post hole digger <clears throat> and uh, you use it to dig a hole and uh, I come along with a tractor. I'm like, here, use this. And it's like, dude, I've been digging holes my whole life with this post hole digger. This is what you use. It works great. You take it and you use it. Like, I don't even know what that thing is. How do you operate it? It looks expensive. What about when it breaks? Like, can it even actually dig holes well? I bet it just, you know, rubs around the dirt. And so it gets really naysayed without even trying it. A tractor is going to outperform your post hole digger all day long if you're building giant holes, you know? Um, and so yeah. I think a lot of teachers and principals who have been doing this a long time come at it like that. Like, well, I've already got a tool set and it's worked. And it's like, yeah, but it could be working better. Um, you could be doing it quicker or getting people further. Um, so, um, the, just, you mind if I stop you right there with the, no. the analogy though? Uh, like with the post hole digger, the, the only issue with that analogy is that you're going to see the immediate result, right? Like yes. You're going to see that machine go into action and then you're going to see a whole bunch of posts put into place. And you're like, holy shit, I've got a fence. Yeah. Like, wow, that's amazing. So you're going to see the immediate benefit. But if we're talking about, you know, a kid that's just starting out in the education system and then seeing them all the way through, like selling someone on a long term plan like that is just so difficult to do because they're worried, like, if it doesn't work, is my kid just an experiment yeah. sort of thing, you know? So I, so I think what we need to get back to from last episode um, with what little time we have left, not a little, but we've got like 20 minutes to discuss this, is there is that resistance. And, and so, you know, I could just sit here and say, we'll do this. It will work better. And people could go, wow, well, that, that actually might work better. But that doesn't change the powers that be at all, right? So yeah. the question becomes... How do we do that then? Because it doesn't matter if I have a better idea. What matters is, can I get that idea implemented? I deal with this in my job all the time. I've got great things to help parents with their children, but parents don't want to implement these things because they sound hard or they sound difficult or they just don't think it will work. So the question yeah. becomes, well, then how do I get them to eventually want to use that thing? And the answer is it's going to take a while and you might not ever get them to use the tool that is most effective um, because everybody's a little bit different. And so I, I don't know where you start with the school system because I don't know enough about it and I don't know enough about the politics of it. Um, I could start somewhere that I would say would be extremely random. Um, and I don't even know, you might know better, um, about this subject than me. Um, but, uh, I feel like every time a vote comes around for more, funds to go into the school system, I, I think to myself, there's already so much damn money in the school system and the education system. And none oh, of you it- just don't care about the teachers. None of it goes to the teachers. None of oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
No, no. Yeah, because we have a large uh, administrations, and yeah, right. I see. I see what you're saying. But, but, but the I think teachers even, are the ones who went out and got the degrees and who really care about the children. Like they're the ones who are passionate about this. Let them do it. Let them figure it out. Let them play around with it. Stop. Stop voting to put money to more people overseeing the teachers and telling them how and what to do. Like they've already been told how and what to do. They went to school and they did it. And I'm not saying they know best, um, but I'm saying if you just let them try it one way, the next teacher is going to want to try it a different way. And law of averages, maybe you get one crappy teacher, but you'll get some really good teachers too. And people will start trying different things and hopefully learn a little bit from each other. So I think one yeah. thing that that doesn't even remotely step towards what I want, but but starts to get there is if we stopped voting on all this federal education and federal funding and more oversight and just took away that money, they're not going to cut the teachers. They're going to have to cut all the people who oversee the teachers, all the, you know, hundreds and thousands of superintendents and, um, uh, you know, principal of that and vice principal and yada, yada, yada. Um, get rid of those positions so there's less oversight and so that the teachers can really just do what they want. The more that teachers yeah. can do what they want, there's the more diversity. I think the more open-minded that teachers are going to be to changing the the current system that they're in and that they do. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I thought you were going down a completely, well, not a completely different road, but I was going to say well, like, oh, you just, you just hate teachers, Bob. Because <laughs> at first I thought you were saying like, we spend too much and we're not getting the result that we want. And so I thought you were saying like, you know, we're spending too much on everything, including the teachers in general. And I'm not suggesting the teachers get pay cuts or anything. Um, but the thing is, is that I always hear like, well, we'll have better education if the teachers get paid more. It's like, wait, so is it about money or is it about educating students? Are they talking about the quality of the teachers, you know, that would be attracted to becoming a teacher? Yeah. You know, a graduate that otherwise wouldn't choose the teaching profession, but would. But I, I think it's a little bit different than that. I, I think what's really important, aside from changing the way in which we educate children, I think it's important to have teachers that can actually um, command control of the classroom. And I'm not saying in an authoritative way. We kind of touched on this before. Right. But not in like some authoritative, you know, laying down the hammer and just sending people to the principal's office or expelling people. Because, I mean, you're, then you're basically just taking your job, which is being a teacher to all students, even those that are uh, difficult, may not have structure at home, and keeping them engaged throughout the entire day on a particular so subject. Some so if that's what you think we need, though, how do we get that? How do we get teachers that command are able to better command classrooms? That Then that... That points to, is that a different population of people we need to attract? And are they attracted more to money? Are they attracted more to freedom? Are they, um, I don't know. How do we do that? It it really seemed uh, like it was about the the individual to me. Like some of the, the teachers that, that I had that really had an impact were the ones that that really expected a lot from their students. Uh, they weren't there to be your friend. But how do we get they more were, of they, those people is what I'm saying. I had a an idea where, because I think especially in high school, in junior high with me, that's when I started kind of being a little obnoxious in class or a right. lot obnoxious, you know, not doing anything that's like 
evil or bad or illegal, but just no, being sure talking being when the teacher's kid. talking, passing notes, yep. like yeah. not paying attention. Yeah. Stuff I look back on now and I'm like, you know what? I wish someone would have been there and be like, like if I if my parents would have walked into the door and saw me doing <laughs> what I was doing, it would have been done. I would have stopped completely. Sure. Because they wouldn't allow me to do that at home, you know? But but you you take advantage where you can to kind of put yourself on a pedestal with your peers and at the same exact time you're taking away from someone who, you know, got an education, is there to try and teach you. And you're taking over the classroom. I was taking over the classroom when they were just trying to do their job. And, and I feel so much remorse and regret for that because, like you said, these people were great people. Like, I, I really enjoyed them as human beings, but I don't think I respected them enough at that point in time to want to listen to them. I cared more about what my peers thought than they thought. So I was thinking, like you said, there are those uh, teachers, professors, even in college, it's it's a lot of the same. I had, you know, classrooms where it wasn't like high school, but there was just, okay, well, half the class is going to show up, you know, to this particular professor's class because right. they just, they don't care and they're not engaged and they're going to do the work from home sort of thing. And I started thinking that, let's say in grade school, uh, whatever the grade, they're, they're always going to kind of know who the teachers are that aren't having the problems, the ones that are able to keep the classroom in control um, and they're able to actually teach the kids the yeah. information they need I, to know. I would say that's not a very scientific approach, but it's true. It's like it when isn't. I was in grade yeah. school, it's like everyone knows like, oh, you want to get this teacher. Like you got to get Mr. Roland because Mr. Roland does this and does that and he's super fun. But also you get in there and it's like everyone listens to him because – you know that if you don't listen to them, the teacher's not going to like you. And this is the teacher who takes their kids to Catalina Island. I mean, yeah. holy crap. Like that, that was yeah. when I got him, when, uh, you know, I went to, to school and then they're like, who's your sixth grade teacher? And you go and you look at the board and I'm like, oh my God, I got Mr. Roland. Like I was ecstatic. Like in his class, we got to build marionettes of ourselves. We got to go to Catalina Island for the weekend and we went scuba, like there's a school there and you go and um, you get to pet all the sea creatures and they're like little lab and you get to go scuba diving twice or snorkeling twice and you do a hike across the island and like you, the, I remember high schoolers were staying there and they taught us like all these silly high school games and, um, it was like the time of my life. And then we, we built uh, water rockets that like you take a two liter bottle and, um, your job is to like, see who can, um, get their rocket to high flyest and, uh, to fly highest into the air. So, so you take a two liter water bottle, you put like a, a paper cone on it or cardboard, and then you put wings and you can design it however you want. Then he hooks it up to this, this hose adapter that fills it full of water pressure and you pull a thing and it shoots into the air. Dude, That's that cool. was the funnest day of school. Just yeah. watching 30 kids yeah. shoot rockets into the air. The only thing that I was disappointed was is that we didn't go back the next week and like take notes and like try and adjust, like actually experiment like a scientist and be like, well, I did this. Like, let me try and change this and see if it's better or worse. Like that would have been fun if we got to do it every week or every day for a week or every, every week for two months and actually like see how experimenting can change those things. That would have made it better. Anyways, point was, is like 
you knew if you got him, it was going to be awesome. But he commanded control over the classroom. Like you're saying, it wasn't that he was authoritative. He wasn't a jerk to anybody, but it's like you wanted to listen. You wanted to respect him because he did so many cool, fun things. And I remember when he would be upset with you or or whatever, like you felt a sense of shame. And that shame was motivating for most students, not for all, but it was motivating for most students to change and adjust their behavior. Yeah, I'm thinking of like a teacher that or is actually a college professor, but I remember getting a paperback from him and it just had a, a bunch, it was a, it was an elevator pitch. So it only had to be like a paragraph and he just, he wrote, uh, what is this? I think on the top. And then he, he wrote think in capital letters with uh-huh. explanation points afterwards and underlined it. Uh-huh. And you know, he'd walk down the aisles and hand them to you. But this guy, like, he knew his stuff. He didn't have slides and stuff, like, you know, where he was just regurgitating stuff that he he had learned. He was engaged in what he was doing, and he cared about it, and everyone was captivated by what he was saying. So when I turned in something that was just substandard, he told me. He let me know, and, and I worked so hard after that because I respected him so much because he respected me enough to challenge me, to challenge you, yeah. like Mr. Roland challenging you with the with the rockets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and he had the ability to make you sit in your seat because you were engaged, and yeah. he loved the fact that you were engaged and the rest of the class was engaged. Well, and that's, and that's hard. A note I want to make about like that type of of. Um teacher or just how people learn in in general and how behavior changes is um, you can't have someone who's completely authoritative because if all you're ever doing is failing and nothing's ever good enough, you give up. And you can't have somebody who's always encouraging because then you never fail. You have to experience both things um, in order to change your behavior. You have to have two different outcomes for two different behaviors. You can't engage in two different behaviors, vastly different behaviors, and get the same outcome for both because if you do... You're only going to then choose the easiest behavior in the future unless you have some ulterior motives. But let's say you're in a class and all you care about is getting an A. You write a really good paper and you spend an hour writing it, uh, that paragraph, or you spend five minutes and in both situations you get an A. Well, what are you going to do in the future? You're going to spend five minutes unless you really like the project. But let's take that out of consideration. Let's just say it's boring, dull homework. The next time you're asked to do it, you're just going to take five minutes. If you don't get that feedback of think every once in a while and you don't get this differentiation, I think that's something people don't realize. People fail and they don't do well. And instead of someone saying like, you didn't do well and now here's a zero and you're going to live with that zero, they say, you didn't do well, but I'm going to let you do it again. And so what people learn is, well, if if I put the hour in or if I don't put the hour in, I put in five minutes, I get an A here. I don't get an A here, but then I get to try an A again and get an A. So who cares? Just do the five minutes and then I'll slowly figure it out. I used to work with this kid who whenever he would do his homework, his math homework, uh, it would be... Um, addition or subtraction or multiplication, division, whatever. But his his math homework would be mixed. He'd have some addition and some subtraction. All he would do is he would go through his homework and and just add everything, okay? And then his mom would go through it 
And she would circle all the ones he got wrong, and when she'd give it back to him, he would go through, and if anything that he that was circled, instead of adding it, he would just subtract it. He wouldn't even look at the signs. And for yeah. him, he had just learned, it's just easiest to do it this way. There was no incentive, because... If he sits there and has to attend to every single one of these, it's going to take him 20 minutes to do his homework. If he doesn't sit there and attend and he just adds everything really quick and his brain's in the same mode, it's going to take him 10 minutes to do his homework, but then he's going to get a little bit of feedback where mom circles it and then he just goes and subtracts him and, and then he's done in 15 minutes. He's learned, and I'm not saying it's this conscious deceptive thing, but he's learned this is the quickest way to go about it. Yeah. And and so you need two different outcomes. You need to let him turn it in and get a 50% for getting half of them wrong. That will teach the kid to not rush yeah. through his homework anymore. And what happens when you get 50% wrong and you do well on the test? Well, you're grounded for the next week. We got to let people succeed, but we can't always make them succeed. Otherwise, there's no reason to change and adjust your behavior. Now, I have completely deviated away from the the topic, which was how do we get these changes implemented? And I still want to go back and press you on it a little bit because mm. you said you think that this command of the classroom is just something that, that people are born with. But that answer then just says, well, there is no way then that we... In- oh, no. So- not born. No, no, no. Not born with. I actually was thinking about it like a solution. You know, uh, what about the teachers that, that like you said, they, they do... Uh, have high marks amongst the students when they're observed by, you know, uh, administrators. Uh, they constantly get great scores because uh-huh. the the students are attentive and everything. Why don't those uh, teachers end up getting paid more? Let's say you know, pay them more, double their salary, and then take a a teacher that is underperforming and struggling, and put them in a classroom in a TA type of capacity. And let them learn kind of through the teacher that is performing, like, this is how it goes. Sure. And then have trial runs, you know, trial runs. And maybe not even a trial run at the same school because, you know, if you have trouble at one school, you're going to develop that reputation. So maybe a trial run where you just go to another district real quick and you just say, hey, okay, you've learned this. Now we're going to try and implement it in this class, you know. And I like that idea, that actually. Um, I, I really like that idea because um, <clears throat> let's say you have that really great performing teacher and then you take the worst uh, performing teacher and you put them together and you have one of them lead. Like, I mean, that is how you learn. You, you learn by yeah. uh, example. And that would be like, it's got to be really hard for a teacher to change their teaching style when nobody is there to change them. And I guess what I would say is um, that uh, we don't have any really good systems in place where we, um, I guess, try and help low-performing teachers by having someone come in and show them what to do. Not that I'm aware of. I could be completely wrong, but it's it's not anything I ever saw when I was in high school. And I still work at schools, not all the time, but I'm in there, and I don't ever really see that going on. So unless I'm missing it, um, I don't really see this... Uh, method of correcting individuals about how they behave, um, about how they teach. So I actually like that idea. I think that's a good proposal. Um, And that is something that, that, here's the problem I see. Um, 
I don't know if people would be okay with paying some teachers more than other based off of performance, which is bizarre because I'm all for yeah. it. But um, yeah. I think a lot of things come come into play. That's hard to do at my own job. Um, we can't give away bonuses because of how much the government then gets from bonuses. I mean, we give away bonuses. Don't don't get me wrong, but it's like the employee doesn't see as much of it as we would like to. If I give you a thousand dollar bonus, you're going to see five or six hundred dollars yeah. of that. You're going to lose forty percent of it, and yeah. you might say, "Oh, well, at the end of the year, though, you're going to get a little bit more back." And blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, but if you if I work my butt off for a ten thousand dollar bonus and I get half of that, like that kind of sucks. Now, a ten thousand dollar bonus is good, but let's say it's a hundred dollar bonus and I get fifty bucks, like. 50 bucks is chump change, especially for a lot of work. So I think oftentimes that these bonus systems and structures just aren't enough of a difference, um, you know, to, to really be a good motivator. If I make, let's say $70,000 in a year and every three months I have the opportunity to earn an extra thousand dollars, really what you're saying is I'll pay you $2,000 more a year. I'll give you this bonus. And what that equates to is, uh, like 20 extra bucks a week. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really seem like anything then in the long run, does it? 20 but extra. Are they really, well, I mean, are they really taking on, uh, I mean, the, like I said, the classroom would, would double. Um, but are they really taking on more responsibility because they have a TA there? So it, it, well, they have the TA, like I would say that the, the teacher that is in the TA position would likely have to take some sort of a pay cut in order to pay the 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 teacher that is taking on the bigger classroom yeah. and teaching the TA how to be more effective. Yeah. Um so are I, you I think now you then can... incentivizing though like remember we had um a teacher in high school who ended up getting fired and like everyone walked out of high school to to save oh, this I teacher. Um yeah. and that teacher had overwhelmingly good grades. But because that teacher never taught, and then the day before the test would go, okay, now we've got a test coming up tomorrow. Number one, A, two, C, three, B, four, A. And everyone would just sit there, write it down. All you have to do is memorize a string of 20 letters, and then you can get an A in the class. Are you not encouraging that type of behavior for some? Because you're going to make more money now if you do it that way. Oh, absolutely. There, there's there's schools. Uh, I think they even had like a sixty minutes episode on it, like an entire school that was just this amazing turnaround story and everything. And it turns out they were basically just rigging all the the college applications. They were they were rigging all the standardized <laughs> testing. They made them see. Yeah, yeah. And because they were taking in tons of money, and everyone yeah. wanted to go to that school because all of the kids they were going to the top performing institutions. Um, and maybe that that maybe that that says something about our society where it's like, you know, the, the cheaters seem to, to prosper as long as they don't get caught. Yeah. But it does, it does create an incentive. Uh, but I mean, like we were commenting on before, I mean, look how much we spend on administrators and all that. And with technology, right. I mean, imagine if you just said, Hey, listen, uh, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. You're on a public campus. You're in a classroom filled with kids. We're going to have a camera there. Look, you're never going to know. You're never going to know when you're going to when you're being monitored and everything. But not monitored like, you know, if you say the wrong thing, you're going to be. But if, if it's if something blatant is going on where yeah. kids are or maybe have them test outside of that professor's classroom, have bring in someone else. I've got arguments against myself right off the bat. Um, I, I'm thinking that. 
again, most teachers who start teaching want to teach and want to help the kids. So if people are yeah. taking advantage of it, like w- will happen, but I would still imagine that the teachers who are taking advantage of it are still having their students actually perform better than they would prior. And, and the reason yeah. that I'm saying that is because what you're saying entails giving like, look, if you're going to put this on a sliding scale with how well teachers perform, I think we're, we're safe to say then we are giving teachers a little bit of liberty on how they teach um, the material and what they teach then. Um, and if you are to do that, uh, I think that teachers will find themselves to be a lot more efficacious. I have a friend who is a teacher um, and uh, left the teaching job um, for something much less paying. And this person was just like, look, I have people telling me how to do my job all the time. Uh, yeah. And I, and they're not in the classroom. They don't know what they're doing, and and they don't even see me do things. And they're, I'm like, oh well, this is my lesson plan. This is how I did. It. And they're like, well, I think you should do it like this. And it's like, I feel like I get that at, at my job sometimes too, where it's like, like, yeah. but you didn't even see what happened. And it's like, yeah, but I did this, yeah. and it's great, and I've seen that before. And it's like, okay, and I'm willing to try your way too. But you like because you've done it before doesn't mean I'm doing it the same way that you're doing it. Um, so you can at least come and watch me and then say, yes, I'm certain this will work and observe it. Don't just tell me without even seeing it. Um, because that just sounds like you think I'm incompetent. Um, but, um, but I think giving teachers a little bit more control on how to do those things would, would make teachers burn out less, right? If you're just like, Hey, I trust you to do this job, do it. Do it how you want to do it. I think that most teachers are there for a good reason and go, cool, this is awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's- the vast majority. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not 99% of them aren't going in there to, to make it rich yeah. or anything or to make a name for themselves because I'm going to get the highest standardized testing scores. Like, no, that's not what they're there for. Yeah. So, they're, yeah, you're right. There are some people that will take advantage of it, but it's like, it's basically what you're say- saying to me is like the cliche with, uh, between, um, let's say, like uh, producers and the artists that create TV shows, or you know, right. there's always that tension where it's like the artists are are essentially the talent. Then you have the right. the back end that is the money, and they're the ones that know the business, but they want to be the artists right. a lot of times, and so they come into the room and they're like, "Well, are you sure we should shoot this scene like this? I think we should take a crit." And it's like, "What the fuck? You weren't even here, right?" Like, what are you talking about now? Yeah. You're going to tell me? Like, I'm the artist. You haven't even that, seen it. We shot me. it. We cut yeah. it. I told you about it. You imagined it in yeah. your head and said, I don't like it. In in uh, Steve Jobs', uh, in his biography, uh, there's a perfect example of that where Disney ruined Toy Story. They made, they made Woody into this angry, evil dude. And... Is, and it was because all the Disney executives were telling these this new these new Pixar guys that didn't know anything like oh well no this is no we need to make Woody like this this is how it sells you and want they him made to go through an emotional change yeah so uh, you know for Jobs Steve Jobs for like once in his life maybe it's because he was uh, out of Apple at that point and he was like you know what maybe I should listen to people and give the creatives a little bit more power he said no you guys do it. You guys are the ones with the Pixar technology. You guys are the story writers. You're the artists. And that's exactly what they did. And Toy Story became a hit. Yeah. But had they left it up to the Disney executives, Pixar may not even be around today. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
one one quick story and then we'll uh we'll close this out but um i think this came from better faster smarter from charles duhigg um who wrote uh power of habit there was a story about um a school in Ohio, and I want to say it's like one of the lowest ranking schools in Ohio. And um, they decide, oh, we're going to throw some technology at it and um, and uh, give it all the best software and, and technology and really get it up to date and and um, get it out of this low rank in, in our school system or in our state and, and really bring it up. And so they did and nothing happened. It stayed exactly where it was in, in uh, its statewide ranking. And so they're like, this doesn't make any sense. We just gave them iPads and computers and yeah. all right, well, let's, let's find some of the best teaching software and let's give that to them and, and let's really uh, fix this. And so they do it and two years go by or three years go by and they go, okay, the software didn't help at all. All this stuff is supposed to help. And so um, finally someone came along with the idea after a few years of this and they said, okay, how about this? How about... Once a month, we lock teachers in a room together for a day or by themselves for a little bit and then and then in a room together. And what they are forced to do is they are forced to sit down and look at the data generated by some of this software that they're using about each student individually. And after they did this for about two years, the school uh, went from being in the top 10 percentile to above 50th percentile in just two years. And why this happened, I'm not telling the story as uh, as entertaining as they do in the book, but I'm trying to get the point across quickly, is what ended up happening is the teachers weren't changing their behavior themselves. So yes, you got new technology, and yes, you got new software, uh, teaching software programs to help out with this, and they're the best you know around and most up to date, but the teachers weren't using any of that stuff. They were still teaching the same. They were um, The iPads that they had bought were only out two hours a day, and it's not to say that using the iPads was the reason for doing it. What teachers started noticing when they they were forced to sit down once a month and interact with their data as they started noticing trends in the data and they genuinely did want to help the students. And when they noticed trends, they would then adjust their behavior based off of seeing um, the real data in front of them. And they might say, okay, well, I'm, I'm struggling with this lesson and everyone's really doing poorly with this. And another teacher is going, my students are doing great. And they're like, okay, well, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm just staying on this for a week longer doing this. And then they would try it. Uh, and so, so because teachers were forced to sit down and, and look at stuff, they were adjusting things on their own and coming up with really, really good solutions to problems. And uh, what I think this highlights is teachers are able to adjust and adapt. They do have the skill set necessary to teach and to teach well. Um, They just need to, change that behavior a little bit and we we should and could give the power back to them. Now, I don't think that totally drills the point home of this second half of the podcast, um, but I don't know if we really have a point to drill home. The, the major underlying question was, well, how do we make some of these changes that I talked about last week? And I don't think I have a good answer to that, but I think a start to it is by giving some of that power back to the teachers somehow, maybe in the way that you vote, maybe in just respecting, if you have children, respecting teachers and what they do and not saying, well, you know, my child needs this and you need to change that. Like your teachers are out there and they're trying. So giving them some of that respect and, and letting them do their jobs and, 
if we do that, we can start to get some differences in how teachers teach. And if teachers are all now teaching differently and not being forced to teach things the same way, I think people will be open to new ideas and open to something like, let's say, well, this teacher's trying this, this teacher's trying that. How about we try doing away with that whole grade system in general? And does anybody want to try that? And that might be a way to start getting some of these ideas out there. I don't think, I mean, sure, we could just vote on it and be a miracle if, you know, I could try and pass legislation on that. That would never happen, though. I think a better shot of getting this accomplished would be slow changes, start letting teachers do their jobs because maybe they don't all know how to do it perfectly or great, but you know what? They're going to learn from each other and I think they're going to feel a lot more effective and I think they're going to want to do their job. Autonomy. I completely agree. Um, Well, if you want to hear more about those types of ideas, I highly recommend reading um, uh, Better, Faster, Smarter from Charles Duhigg and uh, um, the preceding book, Power of Habit. Those are both really good, but um, uh, Better, Faster, Smarter discusses that. They also discuss uh, more autonomy about how Toyota took over a GM plan in San Francisco and turned all that around. Um, Really good stuff on those ideas. But um, That is it for this podcast. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. That is episode number four, and we are officially launching this week. You'll hear this probably a month later or a few weeks later. Um, But uh, yeah, we're we're getting the ball rolling on this. So thank you guys for tuning in, and until next week, um, stay safe out there. We'll see you later. (laughs) 